Tonight we're talking about uh, missions. Uh, the talk is titled A Brave New World. Um, and it's not the novel, uh, but we really want to see a world of new people. Uh, and we want to see a world of brave people that will go out and share the gospel and not just keep it to themselves, but impact others, um, being a part of God's mission. Uh, and so just connecting it a little bit to, to last week um, with discipleship, uh, as, as the gospel comes into us, like it should go out through us. Um, this is seen through Acts, through the life of Paul, um, that as people's lives are changed, they go and tell other people. And, and that's what we do in light of the gospel. Um, and this is what missions is. Um, like the, the call is to go out and disciple, but the question is where? Uh, and missions and going overseas is one of those opportunities. Um, and I just want to sort of set the stage. I think CCP uh, did a really awesome job in Ben's testimony just talking about how like, why wouldn't you want to give some of your time, maybe a summer, maybe a few years after college, or something like that, um, to, to missions and to giving it to God? So, like, just think about the impact that could happen if each and every one of you were to give two years after college to go overseas and to go and share the world and to share the gospel with the world. Like, if you look at the Peace Corps, like, there, there's a two-year requirement there. Like, if someone's in the military, there's a four-year commitment there. But, like, what if we all just took two years to give our life away for someone else? Like, how different would the world look uh, in that respect? Um, but a lot of times, people don't go out and, and share the gospel. Um, like, so why, why aren't people going out and sharing? Um, but why should we? And that's what I want to answer tonight. So tonight, the main question um, that I want to answer is why do we leave? Uh, so in going in this, uh, I have a few different points on that. Um, and I'm just going to go through them right now, but through the rest of the talk as well. So why do we leave? We leave. My phone works. OK. Uh, could I have someone do the computer? My phone's not working. Um, so we leave because God left. Um, and then we leave because God saves us to send us. We leave because the gospel saves us from living for ourselves. We leave because God commands us to. And we leave because the gospel saves the unreached. We leave because so few do. We leave not because it's easy, but because it's worth it. And ultimately, we leave because it's possible. So in that, I'm going to give you a few practicals at the end. So don't worry about getting these all written down right now. I'm going to go through it um, step by step, but just to let you know where we're going tonight. Uh, but the main point that I want you guys uh, to walk away with tonight, the main takeaway would be, um, it's on the next slide, Ollie, that that being new in Jesus creates in us a desire to see and take part in the world becoming new through faith in Christ. So after we understand what Jesus has done for us, how he has impacted our lives and changed our lives and made us new, we want others to experience that as well. We want everyone to be new in Christ. Uh, we want to see and witness this sooner rather than later, too. Um, we never know when someone's going to take their last breath. So we want to be going out and sharing the gospel and the good news of Christ now um, because we have been made new and other people need to know how they can be made new. Uh, so in light of that, I just want to pray for us before we dive in. Heavenly Father, 
God, thank you so much um, for this opportunity. Thank you for bringing CCP and Josh down uh, to Project to just share their experiences of going overseas and how you are working uh, in different places, God, that we may never have imagined ourselves going. Uh, and God, I pray that uh, tonight you just open up hearts and minds to the possibility and the potential of spending time overseas, spending time sharing your message with people that have never heard it before, God. Uh, let us not just uh, close off that idea, but let us keep our hearts and minds open. And God, I pray that tonight your words would be spoken, um, that if anything is helpful, uh, it would be remembered, and if anything is not helpful, it would be forgotten. And God, that this would just um, speak to your truth and how you have, have changed our lives, um, that we would want to go out and participate in you changing the lives of others, God. So we thank you so much for tonight, and I pray uh, your blessing on us. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so the first point I want to talk about is in why we leave is we leave because God left. Uh, so Jesus was the greatest missionary that ever lived. Uh, he crossed cultures from heaven to earth. like He left his home in heaven and made it with us. He left a world of perfection to inhabit a world of sin. He left the language of the Trinity to speak and communicate in a world that talks in lies, manipulation, and deceit. He made the greatest of all leaps. No one has ever made a greater cultural leap than Jesus did. Like He left first. God left. And that's exactly why we contemplate leaving. Like We are images of God, and to image him in our life, we have to take a leap of faith and we have to go. Like, God is Jesus, and Jesus is a missionary, so God is missionary. Like, Jesus is God's fullest picture of mission. Uh, so, also, we leave because God left. Like, what did Jesus do? Just looking at his life, the second point there on that last slide is that he came. Um, what did Jesus do? Uh, he came. And this is in a variety of different passages. It says that in Luke 19.10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. In Matthew 9, 12 through 13, Jesus came not for the righteous, but to heal the sick. In John 10, 10 through 11, Jesus came not to kill, steal, and destroy, but to give life and to give it abundantly. So Jesus simply came. Uh, God did not meet us halfway or supply, uh, supply directions or wait passively for us to come to him. He knew that we couldn't do that by ourselves, so Jesus came to us. And then the third point in we leave because God left is that God uses people. Uh, Jesus, Jesus was fully God, yet he was fully man. So God used his son, fully man, uh, to offer salvation to all peoples. But people are God's plan A. There's no plan B. He, he knows that he can accomplish the work through us, and he wants us to participate in that work being accomplished. You have not only been invited to consider mission, but you were created to image it. You have no other purpose, and God has no other plan for you other than to go and share what he has already taught you. Um, looking at the Westminster Catechism, uh, which is a document of like, what we as Christians believe, one of the first questions is, what is man's primary purpose? And the answer is, man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We want each and every person to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And God uses us to do that. God accomplishes his plan in us so that he can accomplish it with other, in others. And this relates to my next point, which is we leave because God saves us to send us. 
In Matthew 4, 19, um, it says, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make, your, make you fishers of men. So after Jesus saved the disciples and had them come onto him, he made them fishers of men to go out and share with others. And then in John 20, 21, it says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So again, Jesus was sent, and he is impacting people's lives so that they can go out and impact people's lives. And this isn't done like only by ourselves. This is, this is done in community. And a verse that shows that is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Um, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So looking at this verse, we see that the titles given to God's people are all plural. They're not singular. It's a chosen race. It's a holy nation. It's a people for God's own possession. And why are they plural? Uh, they're made plural so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God is making us disciples, and he's making us disciple makers. Um, we were made to go, and this may not be on the mission field for you, um, but it's certainly somewhere, whether that's next door, whether that's on your sports team, whether that's in the corporate world. We were made to go, and we were made to, to share uh, what God has done in our lives so that he can do it in others. The next reason of why we leave is that we leave because the gospel saves us from living for ourselves. And this is a monumental shift of the gospel, that we, we no longer live for ourselves, but we shift our eyes from ourselves to others. Uh, a verse that shows this is in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 14 through 15, uh, which is right before our theme verse, and it says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So the gospel frees us from self to God for others. He died so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for our sake. He di Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to worry about ourselves, but we could share him with others. So you may be wondering, like, why, why shouldn't I care for myself? Like, isn't that a really important thing? Um, but you don't have to care for yourself because the most caring entity in the world already cares for you. The most caring entity in the universe offers you so much more care than you could ever give yourself. And he is devoted to care for you. Like, you are free to care for others because the God who cares is caring for you. You don't have to worry about yourself because God is already doing that for you. Uh, a good example of this um, is the Moravian Church. Uh, and there's a bishop by the name of Count Zinzendorf, uh, which is a really fun name to say. Um, but Count Zinzendorf um, was part of the Moravian Church, and this, this was a group of prayer-based missionaries. They would pray 24-7 uh, in Germany uh, in the 1700s, and they were responsible for the greatest missionary mobilization of the 18th century. Uh, one out of every 60 of these Moravians became overseas missionaries, and they didn't just pack like a normal person would pack 
to go and then return, but they packed their belongings in coffins because they were destined to die in the field. They saw the importance of living out their faith and going to unreached people and giving their life for them so that they would even pack in coffins. And in, in Saving Us from Living for Ourselves, uh, Count Zinzendorf has a good quote, and it says that missions, after all, is simply this. Every heart with Christ is a missionary. Every heart without Christ is a mission field. So each and every time that Jesus brings a new member into his fold, that person becomes a missionary. And there are so many people out there that are the mission field, that the gospel saves us from living for ourselves so that we can live for others. The next point is that we leave because God commands us to. Uh, and this is seen uh, very evidently in the Great Commission. Uh, just like we talked about last week with discipleships, it says, go therefore and make disciples. But the first word is go. You have to go. You can't just wait passively for them to come to you. And it says, make disciples of all nations. So the word is talking about like the grand overarching purpose of the glory of God among every people group. The Great Commission is a command not just to make disciples wherever we go, not just to make disciples among as many people as possible, but it's specific. It's a command to make disciples of all peoples, of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And obedience to the Great Commission must have us focus on people who have never heard the gospel. That's ultimate, that is the end. This impacts the way that we minister. Like we want you to grow not only for your own sake, but also for the sake of the world and for making God known. So we go because God commands us to in the Great Commission. And another example of this, Gideon uh, talked about Acts 1-8 um, during his talk on Sunday, um, talking about how the Holy Spirit has come upon us and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But just like Gideon talked about on Sunday, the end of the earth hasn't happened yet. So we have to go and we have to be a part of the end of the earth being reached with the gospel. God commands us to do that. Another example is in Proverbs uh, 24, 11, And it, it calls us to rescue those who are being taken uh, to death, to hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Like people are headed to death and God commands us to go out and share with them so that they would have the opportunity to live forever with him. And so these are some really general points. Um, this next one is uh, my larger point and something that, that really impacts me and I hope impacts you as well, that we leave because the gospel saves the unreached. Um, there is a need out there. There is a need of unreached people that have not heard the gospel. And we leave to go and share it because the gospel is the power to save. Um, we leave because people are dead and they are headed to death. Just like it said in Proverbs, they are stumbling to the slaughter. Um, in Ephesians, the book we've been studying this summer, uh, in chapter two, it starts out by saying, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in what you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So looking at this verse, it says that you were dead in, in the trespasses and sins. So if we were spiritually dead in our sin, 
then our life isn't only characterized by moral immorality, but inability. Like dead people, especially those who are dead to God, have no hopes of pursuing, seeking out, or getting to God. Dead people are like corpses floating out on a lake. No matter how much they might like to think differently, dead people cannot respond. They cannot ask for help, and they cannot help themselves. Spiritually dead people have drowned in their sin, and there is no hope in themselves. They are dead without God and without hope in this world. So if someone were to, to go out on this lake um, where there are dead corpses floating, uh, if they were to take a boat and to go and rescue them, like the dead corpses couldn't answer any questions. They couldn't follow instructions. Um, they couldn't put their arm around a life preserver uh, thrown to them and swim to the boat. Um, all other religions outside of Christianity do not have an answer for this situation. Like the dilemma of man is that he is lifeless and all that these other religions offer uh, to, for that man is to encourage him to help himself. Like all other religions respond to this by riding out on a boat to the floating corpse and doing nothing more than throwing it as swimming manual. And that's not gonna help. Like any onlooker in that situation would be appalled at the indecency of such an act, to just sit, see a dead person and say, try harder, do better. But that's what all the religions look like outside of Christianity. They think that a better skill or a behavioral change will meet the need, and they are terribly wrong. Uh, they think that if they knew how to swim better, they would not be in this problem. That if they could be better, they would not have drowned in their sin. But the, the problem lies much deeper than this. The problem is not behavioral, but it cuts to their, very, to their very being. They are dead. They do not need a modification, but they need a complete salvation from the current state of immorality and inability. The only thing that can save a dead person, the only thing that can rescue these floating corpses out on the lake is a living person who is prepared to sacrifice themselves to save. And this is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus rides out in the boat, but he does something different. He doesn't just throw them a swimming manual. Uh, he doesn't talk to the corpse or encourage them or, hey, here are a few pointers. Uh, he doesn't even attempt to help the corpse because the corpse is helpless. Jesus knows that he must save the corpse. And Jesus does so by diving into the water and wrapping his arms around the dead, cold, and lifeless body not trusting the corpse to hold on. His grasp is all that matters, and he holds the lifeless body until he swims it to shore. And then once on shore, he performs CPR, pumps on the chest, and breathes life into the lungs. And when he does, life comes back from the dead. That once lifeless corpse coughs up gallons of sins, struggles, and uh, idolatries, which no longer cut the air from their lungs. He is free, and he is forgiven by a savior who has made him alive. Like, Jesus does this. We don't meet God halfway. He comes all the way. He is on mission through his son. God is working through his son. And he and Jesus left his heavenly shore and commandeered a wooden cross to save our old corpse of a life. But in the process of revive, reviving us, he died. He did not make it back to shore. We live and he dies so that we may live. There's no other way. This is the only way to salvation. We have to understand that each and every one of us 
We're, we're once dead. Some of us may still be dead, corpses, trying to look at the instruction manual, trying to swim better, trying to do all these things by ourselves, but we need to understand that there is nothing that we can do. We are completely dead, and the only way that we can have salvation is through Jesus. And this is why we leave. We leave because there are dead people out there, and we leave because the gospel of Jesus Christ alone can save. In John uh, 14, 6, it says that Jesus said to him, to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So these other religions that talk about, oh, here's a swimming manual, or do better, try harder, none of that's going to help. The only person that saved these corpses is, is Jesus going out and bringing them to the shore and giving them CPR. Like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to make a path to heaven for rebellious sinners like you and me. And there is only one path. Like, if you know Jesus, you know the way. If you don't know Jesus, you're on the wrong path. You're just a dead corpse in the middle of the lake. And we have to understand, too, that we were once unreached. Uh, we were once dead. And, and some of us in this room may not be completely trusting in Jesus to bring them back to the shore. Some of you may still be dead. Uh, and we have to, if, if you are alive, if Jesus has impacted your life, if you have accepted him as your savior and not gone to the works or anything else and understood that Jesus can give you the life-giving CPR to get rid of all of your sin, all of your failures, if you have accepted that, then think about how you were saved. Like you were saved because someone shared the gospel with you. The Holy Spirit worked through people to explain what God has done for you, to explain that you are a sinner in need of a savior. If Jesus could save you, if Jesus could save me, he could save anyone. Um, he saved Paul, who admittedly was the foremost of sinners. Paul, who would crucify Christians. Paul, who went after them, killing them. And Jesus was able to save him. So we have to understand that we, we were once dead, um, but that gives us so much passion in understanding that we can go and we can be a part of God bringing other people to life. In Romans 1.16, it talks about um, not being ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Like, if we believe the gospel is the power of salvation, we shouldn't be ashamed of it, but we should be eager to preach it. Like if we flip the verse around, it can be said that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Therefore, I am not ashamed. But do we actually believe that? Like, do we actually believe that the gospel can go out and save people? Like, if you're living in Christ right now, it saved you. Believe that. Trust in that. Um, because when we don't believe that, we don't go out and share. Um, but we need to share. We need to share the gospel. We need to share the power of salvation so that others know. A stat that I was looking at as, as I was preparing for this talk was that 29% or just over one in four people of the world have never heard of Jesus. And not only have they never heard of Jesus, but they have no chance of hearing the good news. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby. One in four people of the world have never heard. And that's why we have to go. We have to go because the gospel is the power of salvation. The gospel has hopefully saved you. And you can be a part of it saving others. 
so I just wanted to share a little video um, about unreached people groups uh, to help you understand a little bit more about the people that are out there. What is the UPG? UPG stands for unreached people group. But to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word. But ethnically, Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations or people groups within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude, stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb people, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta ethnic, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. So as you guys can see, this, the task remains incomplete. We leave because people need to hear the gospel. There are unengaged people groups. There are unengaged and unreached people groups. Half of the world's population is considered unreached by the gospel. It means that they are not being targeted by the gospel and there are few known believers there. Um, and again, this is people who have never heard the gospel. They have no access to a believer. Like, they have not said no to Jesus, but they haven't even had the chance to say no to Jesus because they don't know what the gospel is. They've never heard the name of Christ before. And that should be heartbreaking. We should look at that and we should be devastated to know that there are people in this world that haven't heard the good news that we, have, that we have been so fortunate to hear. And then just looking at the 1040 window, 95% of all the unreached people groups live there, but less than 3% of the total cross-cultural missionary force 
is working with unreached people groups. So we must go, like we have to go because people need to hear the gospel. And, and as I'm saying all of this, that we need to go and we need to do missions, uh, we need to remember that um, John Piper has a really good quote on this, that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Just like I said at the beginning of the talk, man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our, our purpose is not to go and to, to share Christ. That is like what God is calling us to now, but our, worship, our purpose is to do that in a worshipful sense of God, to make him ultimate, um, because we're supposed to worship him. We're supposed to glorify him. And one of the ways that we can do that in, is missions, but don't glorify missions over God. Worship God first, and out of that, let your life be missions. The next reason why we, why we leave is we leave because so few do. Right now, uh, and ever since Jesus, ever since the beginning of time, uh, we have a world missions crisis. Uh, we, go, we go because there are never enough laborers to go around. Uh, there are many helpless and harassed sheep, but there are far too little laborers for them. A verse that shows this uh, is in Matthew uh, chapter 9, verses 37 through 38, and it says, Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. There are so few people that give their life for missions, so we need to be praying that God would equip people to go out and share. Um, and, and we can only pray for that problem to go to way, to go away, or we can pray and produce laborers. We can be part of the solution to the problem of far too little laborers. Like, unless we reproduce, we have no hope of accomplishing every single tribe, tongue, and nation being reached. But as we multiply, we might see the evangel evangelization of the world even in our lifetime. So build disciples that will go out and share. Definitely pray for it, but also take part in action. Don't be passive in that. Another verse that talks about this is Romans 10, verses 13 through 15. It says, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are men to call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how can man preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We have to go out and preach the good news of the gospel. We have to have feet that go out and preach the good news. All too common is the cheap and surface level definition of beauty that is like pedicured, soft, and painted feet. But, is, but it is the calloused, blistered, bloodied, dusty, and well-worn feet that are beautiful in the Lord's eyes. Feet patterned after our saviors, with holes and streams of blood pouring over them, are the most beautiful feet. What do, you, what do your feet look like right now? Are, are you getting the pedicure? Are you trying to stay comfort? In, or are you going out and are you walking on that gravel road? Are you being, getting your feet calloused? Are you living for Christ? Another way to look at this is, what does your life look like? Is it a coloring book or a canvas? So is it a coloring book? Um, 
where you draw everything out and, and you'll allow God to pick the color as long as it's in the lines that you have your life planned out. This is, where I'm, this is my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, a nice house, white picket fence. Uh, this is the job I'm going to have. And then God, you can use me if it, everything fits into that. Or is your life a canvas? Something that you just sign, you sign, and you let God do whatever he wants with it. Like, you, you tell God, I'll go where you lead me. Like, are you willing to be uncomfortable for God's glory? Are you willing to trust Jesus with your life? Or do you think that your plans are better? Do you think that the simple little ship that you can draw in your coloring book is going to look better than what God can do with your life if you allow him to take over? The masterpiece that he can create is going to be far greater than anything that your puny mind can imagine. So just as, as Ben said during his testimony, like, you should pursue going until, until you're told to stay, uh, unless God tells you no. Like, we, we shouldn't ask ourselves, why should I go, but why should I stay? Like, the only reason that you should stay is if you are convinced that you are doing more here to affect what is going on over there than if you were living there yourself. Like, are you, are you mobilizing people? Are you giving to missionaries? Are you impacting people here in a way that is greater than you going to a world of people that have never heard the name of Jesus? How, how is your life going to impact the nations for his glory? How are you going to, to sign your canvas and let God work? Um, because he needs to. There, there are people out there that are lost and in need of a savior. Uh, and I have a video um, that just emphasizes that a little bit more. The job is not done in the world that Christ gave us to do and the mandate is still binding on us today. That's why we speak of unreached people groups. But the missions is the back-breaking, culture-penetrating, darkness-shattering initial work to penetrate, plant the church, see it flourish, get its own elders, train its own people, evangelize its own networks. That's the task of missions. It's not over. And that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And the alternative is hell. And millions and millions and millions of people are on their way there. And we have the only means of escape in our hands and in our hearts. Jesus Christ. Thank you.
brothers and sisters, this is not an invitation to an easy life. For 2,000 years, thousands and thousands of missionaries, the unnamed, no biographies written about them, just unnamed people of whom the world is not worthy, have counted this cost and put their lives at risk and reached the loss with the only message of salvation. Jesus is the only way for salvation. And people need to hear that. Um, and we need to give our lives to that. And, and we leave not because it's easy, but because it's worth it. Um, there, there are sacrifices that have to be made. Uh, it's going to be hard to leave. You, you'd leave friends, you'd leave family, you'd leave what, you're, what you know, the comfort that you have here. Um, but just look at the sacrifices that Christ made. He made the ultimate sacrifice. He, he left the perfect relationship with his God, with his Father, and with the Holy Spirit. He left his family in heaven. He left what he knew to come to this sinful, broken earth. And he left the comfort of being there to be crucified on a cross, to experience hell for us to die and have that separation from his heavenly father and to experience the wrath of that heavenly father for us. He was the greatest missionary to ever live. And we can image that. Even though it, there are sacrifices, there is no sacrifice greater than Christ and Christ is with you in each and every one of those sacrifices. And the awesome thing about it, this is worth it. This is the greatest story ever told. What better mission is there for you to give your life to? Like we talked about 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. To, to know that you were a part of someone coming to know Christ and that they would be walking in Christ, that they would be destined for an eternal relationship with God in heaven. Um, and to know too that this is, this is going to happen in Revelation 7, Verses 9 through 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on his throne, and to the Lamb. This is going to happen. God's plans will not fail. His mission will succeed. And don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of his plans coming to fruition? God is at work all over the world right now. 
Um, he is in work in these places, and you can partner with him. Like, you can go and not be the savior, but you can point people towards the savior. You can be a resource to the only true salvation that is Jesus, the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only way to the Father. So why not? It's worth it. So um, just some practicals as we wrap up here. Um, we leave because it's possible. Like, think about how are you going to be involved? How will you respond to God's call on your life? It's not an if, but it's a how. It's not, oh, I might do this, I might not, but how am I going to respond to what God has done in my life by impacting others? And I have uh, six different ways um, that we can do that. Uh, the first one is that we just live. Um, we live the Christian life. Like Our lives are the best apologetic there is. Uh, living our lives with believers and unbelievers, we get to share the miraculous work that God has done, how God has brought us from death to life, how Jesus came out to the middle of the lake and he brought our body to shore and gave us CPR so we could cough up our sins so that we could live um, and we could live for him. Uh, we, can, we can make the worship of God by all peoples the number one priority in our lives living by looking at the word and going to church and just experiencing more of what God is doing, how he is at work, um, and doing that in community. Uh, Jason Meyer, the pastor at Bethlehem Baptist, had an uh, analogy that says the Christian life is like a tough mudder. Uh, the race where you enter as a team, you run as a team, and it's difficult. You get dirty and it's exhausting, um, but it doesn't last forever there is a finish line. And that finish line for us is heaven. That finish line is Revelation 7, 9 through 10, where we will be saying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on his throne and to the Lamb, surrounded by every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So the first way that it's possible is that we can just live. The second way is to give. Um, so to enable missions. Uh, you've probably heard the saying, like, I'm not a goer, but I'm a sender. Um, so you can, you can help people become missionaries and go out and live their lives by giving. Giving God's money back to God and his mission. And some of you may be thinking right now, well, we're college students. Like, we don't have a lot of money. Um, but we, what you do have is a lot of time. And in light of that, you can use that time to grow. Um, you can grow in the gospel. You can learn more about being a world Christian. Learn about the world. Go to websites like the Joshua Project. Um, look up things from the traveling team or Operation World. See what God is doing at work in nations and what nations need more, more goers uh, to impact them. Uh, and then grow in, in sharing your faith. Grow in sharing on your campus to prepare yourself to go and share with the world. The next practical is to actually go. Uh, to be an overseas missionary. Um, this week, you've, there's two examples right here to, to do a CCP trip, maybe, or to partner with ELIC. Like, again, what if every student in our ministry gave two years after graduation to go and impact the world? The world? Think about like, how many lives would be changed and how God would be working in that. And you may be asking, like, can I do this? Um, and know that you don't have to be smooth. Um, God can use anyone. Like Ben was talking about, you don't have to be a super Christian. You can just be a regular Christian. Uh, it's 
like the people that go out are not all really good talkers and really good at evangelism. Like Christianity itself is not about perfection, but it's about growth. And each and every time you read your Bible or you go to church or you trust more in God or you confess your sin, like you are growing. Um, I mean, I, I went on CCP two years ago and I sucked at evangelism. And it was really awkward and I hated it, but I grew in that. Um, and now I'm giving my life away on the campus for that. Um, so know that you don't have to be perfect, but God can still use you. Um, and as you're asking, can I do this? Um, ask yourself the questions like, are you a Christian? Are you truly trusting in God as your only salvation? And are you doing that? Are you going to have other people trust in God? Like, what are your motivations? Uh, a lot of times overseas missions can be glorified. Um, but you can do missions now. You can do missions on the college campus. Uh, instead of going overseas, you can go across the hall um, to your neighbor, or you can go um, to your sports team or to your club um, and share there. Um, but also ask yourself, like, have you ever considered leaving? Um, and this, again, not just overseas, um, but using where you're at right now to impact the lives of others. The next practical is to pray to pray for the nations, um, pray, that pe uh, pray for missionaries, pray that people would be sent to the nations and that people's lives would be impacted. Pray for the people around you um, that their lives would be impacted. There are, there are unbelievers on your college campuses, even the Christian ones, um, and pray for those people. Pray for your friends and your family. Uh, and pray for yourself, that your heart would be turned more towards the nations. Right now you may be sitting in this talk like, this sounds stupid, I never want to do it, but pray that God would change that, that he would work in you so that you would get excited to go. And then the, the sixth practical is to mobilize, um, to move other people uh, towards God mission, God's mission as well. And this is what I get excited about being on staff. Like, I could have gone overseas, um, but I decided to stay because I understood that uh, and I was convinced that I would be able to do more here to affect what was going on over there than living there. So I get super excited about discipling and pouring into students so that they can go overseas. And giving talks like this, talking about going and leaving for God for all these different reasons. Um, but also mobilize in the sense of seeing the world in your city. There are people from so many different ethnicities and backgrounds on your college campus or in your city. And reach out to people there. Uh, go to an international club and learn more about other people. Uh, so I just really get excited about this. And um, a lot of these practicals and things are difficult. So I want to give you uh, guys some time to examine and think about these things. But before that, I want to pray for us. So if you'll bow your heads with me, please. God, thank you so much um, for this night and for the opportunity uh, to discuss more um, of what you have done, um, how you have brought, brought us from death to life, God. And you have done it by grace, not by works, so that no one may boast, God. Thank you so much for changing my life. Thank you for putting people in my life that shared the gospel with me. Even when I didn't want to respond correctly to it, God, that they would continue to share. And I pray that um, in this room, um, people listening would, would understand that they know who you are because someone shared the gospel with them, God. Because someone took part in your mission and your plan. And they wouldn't just leave it and say, oh, this is good for me. But they would 
get excited about going and sharing that with others and impacting the world for you, God. Help them to know that they don't have to be perfect. Um, none of us will ever be perfect, God, um, but that's okay because you were and you are and you are for us, God. Um, you are right along beside us, helping us to grow, helping us to minister. Your Holy Spirit is with us. Um, and God, you have commanded us to do it commanded us to do this, and you will be with us in that, God. So we just praise you um, for the call that you have given us, for the opportunity that you would allow us to partner with you in missions, to partner with you in life change, so that we would get so excited about our children walking in the truth, God. Uh, So help us to desire this more, um, and not to just leave it here, but to talk about it and discuss it, and look at what our lives could look like if we gave them to you, um, if we opened up our canvas to you, God. In your name, amen.